A few weeks ago, we were having dinner with several church members here at, at our home. I had given a sermon about what is a true Israelite. And there was a scripture that I used, and we had a new person that was at our home. And she said, uh, about this scripture, I don't understand exactly what it means. She didn't have the same background that many of us do. And so I explained a bit about her, to her about this subject. And I thought, this is a good message to expound on and explain a little further, which has to do with the subject, what is spiritual equality? What is spiritual equality? Talking about in the Bible, the term uh, equality is battered around so much nowadays, it's used and abused. You have some that talk about gender equality, where it doesn't matter what gender you want to become or whatever, it, everything is okay in society nowadays. You also have a type of uh, economic equality that was used in the system in uh, communism, which is that, oh, we're all going to be paid equally, doesn't matter what we do. And of course, that ended up being a disaster because, of course, those that were on top were making much more than what they were the ones at the bottom and actually taking from the bottom to make themselves even richer. And so we want to look at what the Bible says about spiritual equality, because it is a concept that is taught in the Bible. We have to know what it is and also what it doesn't mean. And how can we be sure? How can we find the answer? There's only one source that's written in uh, man's uh, literature. It's written and inspired by God himself. And we have in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and read that this is the fundamental scripture about the inspiration of the Bible, why we can be sure God's truths are stored there. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Many times, uh, other translations have it, it is God-breathed. It means that it comes because God is inspiring what the writer is going to write about and is profitable for doctrine, that means biblical truths, for reproof, refuting wrong teachings, for correction, showing us what is right 
for instruction in righteousness. So this is the way that teaches us the right way of life. No other book does it. And the Bible is like a spiritual mirror that we can see ourselves and we see how far we are from what the Bible teaches us. And it shows us all the defects and all the things that we are not doing right. But like a mirror, it can show us what we need to clean up in our lives. And we're very thankful about that. It goes on to say that the man, and here it means the person, it can be man or woman, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's a way to prepare us. It's our guide. It's our manual. And so let's go to this manual, to the key scripture dealing with spiritual equality. What uh, that person asked about when we were having dinner there at our home. It's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. And again, why is this important? It's important because it's one of the truths in the Bible. And we're in the business of learning God's truths. First to apply it to ourselves and then to teach others as they wish. If they want to know about this subject, we have here the basis for it. So Galatians 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ is living in those people. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we become part of Abraham's descendants through this spiritual lineage that we have. We're able to share the blessings, to have God's grace and favor upon us. Now... It's important when Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. It doesn't mean now that we don't have a particular gender and we still remain men or women. Uh, we're still of one nationality. But he says before God, and the way God looks at us, we are all the same under God's laws and under God's judgment. And that God does not show respect for people. He doesn't have one standard for some or one standard for others. He doesn't consider men to be above the women in the sense of they're more valuable spiritually. No. A woman is just as valuable spiritually to God as a man. And it doesn't matter whether you're 
rich or poor, God doesn't look at that as important. And he doesn't look at what nation we're from in particular as well. That's why we have brethren around the world. We're all the same. I've had the privilege of being in Latin America. And when we're together over there with the brethren, we sit. doesn't matter whether it's a small little place or not. It, we're all brethren. It's not the place. It's the people that make us all when we share together. And this isn't the only scripture where God emphasizes this. When God repeats it in another scripture, it's because it's a very important principle. So let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And notice how, just like a budding flower or a beautiful rose bud, it just keeps getting bigger and more beautiful as we understand the scriptures better. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, talks about having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we're renewed in these spiritual truths. It's a, it's a new way of life where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, which are the ones that were outliers of the Roman Empire, Scythians, which also were outliers, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Again, in our church, uh, everybody is running the race toward the kingdom. Nobody has the inner track. We all are running the race to qualify to be in God's kingdom. And everybody has their own particular race. You're not running somebody else's race. Just your own. To be the best that you can be. And not worry about others and competing with others. We're competing with our own selves of how better we can be as human beings. There's another third scripture. This one actually even amplifies it more. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This one I'm going to dwell on a bit more because it not only shows you this principle of the spiritual equality before God, but also a very important point. Even if we're spiritually equal before God, that doesn't mean the roles are all the same for everybody. So we have spiritual equality, but the roles are different as God assigns them. And that's important to understand. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says here, for as the body, talking about the church, is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Talking about just like we have a physical body with all the different parts, so also Christ is the head of the spiritual body, which is the church. For by one spirit... 
we were all baptized into one body. Whether baptized uh, Jews or Greeks, again, not make any difference. There's not any superiority where you were born. Whether slaves are free, whether you're well off or not. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. When hands are laid upon you after baptism, you receive the same spirit. Uh, we're not talking about some other strange spirit. It's a spirit of love toward God, love toward his laws, to his way of life. It says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so he's... He compares it. Although we are placed in that body, not everybody has the same functions. Everybody is put there according to God's will. It says, verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So, uh, we know we use our hands a lot more than we use our feet. And you can do a lot more with your hands than with your feet. You can't really play a piano with your feet, but you can do so in your hands. You can take a hammer and a nail, and you can do a lot of things. You can cook. You can't do that with your feet. And so maybe somebody feels like, well... I'm not happy with my function. I, I want to be, instead of a foot, I want to be a hand in the church. I, I want that role. And so it says, uh, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And so here's another analogy he uses this time with the different senses. And there is a consensus that the most important of the senses, the five senses, are our eyes. Because if you're blind, it really hinders so much of your life. Whereas, okay, you could be deaf, but at least you can get around, you can see. Or if you don't smell, you can still live a much more normal life but if you're blind that really hinders and so again it's talking here because some of the Corinthians were sort of jealous and well why can't I have this job or why can't I do this role and so they weren't happy and so Paul is saying look we're all part of the body and it's not somebody gains this position on its own or fighting it or desiring it and no it's something God provides and so he says verse 17 if the whole body were an eye where would be the hearing if everybody did the same role we would have the variety of gifts and that you also need hearing as long as you would vision if the whole we're hearing, where would be the smelling? Another one of the senses. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body 
just as he pleases. And so here, uh, God the Father is above everyone. And then Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Christ is working with people and he sees uh, the different roles a person has. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? We need all the people with their different gifts and functions to be part of that body. Verse 21, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So Paul is saying, you know, God is not calling all these super men and super women into the church. We have all different ages. We have all different backgrounds. And he knows what he's doing. Verse 22 no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker and necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. And so uh, you know, we dress to cover certain parts of our body. Other parts of the body don't need to be dressed. But what he's saying here is that God knows every person, and any person, uh, whether they're healthy or sick or they're not able to do too much, God has a purpose for them. And we're going to see what that purpose is in a moment. He says, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So you see, if God called everybody and they're all rich and good looking and industrious, boy, that'd be just like another social club. Everybody just gets out there and they're all strong and they're, no, God placed them because he wants to see how we take care of those that are most needy. And, and we need to have that caring for those that are less fortunate than ourselves in the congregation. He says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So here you have the two extremes. You have one where Somebody's sick, somebody's hurting, somebody, are, are we going to remember them? Are we going to try to see what we can do? And then if somebody is honored, uh, we all feel we're part of the team. And that's the time to rejoice, not be jealous or envious. It's almost like in a football team. And, okay, uh, is the is the forward or the blocker going to say, well, yeah, the quarterback always gets the credit, so I'm, I'm mad at him. I want to have the credit. 
Well, that's ridiculous. If you don't do the blocking, that poor quarterback's going to be knocked down. So you see, everybody has a role. And the thing is, it's the attitude that Paul is talking about. We need to get rid of a certain spirit of wanting to be number one or, yeah, to be in charge and this type of thing, which can happen. Let's go on. He says, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. Notice God is the one that does the appointing. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, uh, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Is everybody with that same role? No. Are all prophets? Not all have that role. Are all teachers? Neither that. Are all workers of miracles? Not that as well. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues or languages? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the best gifts? Because he's saying all these are different roles you have, but... Here's one that everybody, a gift that they can all have and apply. I show you a more excellent way. And so this part of 1 Corinthians 12 is connected to 1 Corinthians 13. Many times we read this love chapter, but we don't read, well, what was Paul trying to get across? It was this, the right spirit according to the roles that we have. And so I'd like to read it in the contemporary English version because I think it does add a bit more to the understanding of what this has to do. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, it says, What if I could speak all languages of humans and of angels if I did not love others I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What if I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? And what if I had faith that moved mountains? I would be nothing unless I loved others. What if I gave away all that I owned and let myself be burned alive? I would gain nothing unless I loved others. You can have the best works and deeds and have the worst attitude if you're trying to impress people and boast about it. Love is kind and patient, never jealous of others, not boastful, proud, or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Talking about to them. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Love never fails. So he's talking to the Corinthian brethren and saying, focus on each one of our lives, how we can better love others 
and let God do the sorting out and putting the members in their own positions. So when we're talking about spiritual equality, we're talking about that we are all judged impartially by God, whether we're men, women, whether we are well off or not, we're all having the same basic rule of judgment. And that comes from a foundational law found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. Here's the law of why we're equal before God's law and before God. It says in, first, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, he had the word right next to him, who became Jesus Christ. Let us make God in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And we certainly have been given something that no creature on earth has the abilities that a human being. A human being can build a whole civilization. Have you seen monkeys out there in Africa building their own imperial country and imperial system? No. They just do what monkeys do. They live in trees. We can take those trees and we can build houses. We can build highways. We can do so much. So they do have dominion. Verse 27, so God created man, and it should be really more mankind. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you see there's this equality. God created man and women to be equal before him. God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't think men are more important than women. Each one has a role, and they will be judged according to their own works, according to their deeds. We notice uh, how uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, tells us here that women are co-heirs of salvation. They have the chance to be in the kingdom, just like every human being. It's not just the men that have this inside track at all. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So important, uh, the relationship between a man and a woman and how to work things out so that life is so disruptive in the home that you don't have the attitude of prayer. And it can happen where you have a coldness around and you're not getting along with the other person. Uh, many times your prayer life goes down. 
I'd like to read this in the, another translation, the Passion Translation. It says, Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored. For they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Talk about being co-heirs. So we should look at women that way. They are co-heirs with us. We should not look down on them. And women should not feel that somehow men are favored by God. Not at all. We all have different roles to play. Now, the, about these different roles we now have, that's just for the present time. We are beings that either have a male body or a female body, but uh, we're not going to be in that same body when God's kingdom comes. We're going to be in a far superior body than what we have today. And notice how Christ changed completely his role that he had and all for our benefit, how he lowered himself. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So if Christ would have said, well, I've got the role of God, the Word. I'm eternal. And that's going to be my only role because that's so superior. If he would have done that, he would never have come down to this earth. So this is the way Paul puts it. Philippians chapter, three, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So as you grow spiritually, that should be the case. You actually look at people and consider them more favored, more blessed. You respect them more than even yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, nothing wrong with that, but also for the interests of others. So don't close yourself just in your own little world thinking about your own needs. Think about the needs of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the way Christ thought who being in the form of God, he had that spiritual body, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think this was something that he should grasp and tenaciously hold on to that equality. But made himself of no reputation. He came, didn't come as a prince, 
came as a very humble Judean. Taking the form of a bondservant, he became a servant of men and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, it's still him, but in the body of a man now, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God who had it all. Basically, it says there in John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, that God the, who became the Father actually created the universe through the Word. So Jesus Christ was the one, he was the one that carried it out. Every little atom that you see here was made by Jesus Christ. And yet, now he was willing to give all of that up. Not only that, he could have had a nice life here and then gone up to heaven. But no, he had to die for all of our sins and be crucified as a lawbreaker and the worst torture that men have ever thought about. And he did that. He said, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. Remember, that's always talking about people living in caves underground. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see that it's not the roles that are so important. It's the attitude that we accept our roles and carry them out the best way we can. Let's look at that curse of wanting to be number one. How much damage it has done. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 in verse 24. Because the, the disciples, they were feeling their oats. They, they were, oh, Christ is going to bring the kingdom. And guess who's going to be in charge? We're going to be under him. We're going to run the show. And it wasn't enough. Then two of the brothers said, Mom, can you talk with Jesus? And can we be on your right-hand side and on your left-hand side? In other words, it's not enough to be part of the twelve. Now you've got to be in the inner circle. And so this is what happened in Matthew 20, verse 24. Okay. It says, And when the ten, talking about the ten apostles, heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. They were saying, well, why are you both going to be better than us? They probably were thinking, we should have got there first. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're in that job because they like to rule over people. And those who are great exercise authority over them. And woe be unto you if you disobey. You're going to get punished right away. Yet it shall not be so among you. You're not going to have that attitude. That you assume responsibilities and you're not going to oppress others. It's not going to be for your benefit so much as for 
the other people that you are serving for their benefit. But whoever desires to become great among you, if you want to be part of God's kingdom and have a responsibility, let him be your servant. Become a servant to others. And whoever desires to be first among you, wants to be there with great responsibilities, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's one of the basic rules of God's kingdom. Uh, we are not to seek our own. We're not supposed to have this uh, political shuffle and ambition and all of these things to try to get a position on your own. Positions should be granted by God. And it says there in Psalm 78. Let's go into Psalm 78. This is the one where it talks about that the promotion. Oh, I didn't write. I didn't underline it. Let's see. He talked about uh, David in verse 55. He also drove out the nations before them, allotted them an inheritance by survey, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Uh, verse 70, and he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepholds. So that's one of the scriptures, but it talks about God put David, who was a shepherd, in charge of all of Israel. And so, again, in the church, we're not here to be joshing, joshing for position and trying to get the best roles. Notice uh, in James chapter 3, we see the two attitudes. The attitudes in the world, that worldly ambition, and then we have uh, the humility in the church to let God choose. James chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, who has grown spiritually mature? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Another word for humility. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. That's not a godly attitude. Don't lie against that truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And we've seen people that have talent, they become ambitious, and they, they want to do things their own way. And many times it causes church splits and all kinds of evil results from that. But notice the godly wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those 
who make peace. So there are different roles in the church. And with God's spirit, it shows us. Let's do our part. As it says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, everything that comes to your heart, to your hand to do, do it with your might. Be the best that you can be in yourself. And please God. That's so important. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, brings up this point. 1 Timothy chapter 2 about the roles. Although we are all spiritually equal before God and His law, doesn't mean we do everything equal as far as roles are concerned. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. It says, remember, let's see, oh. verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, so women can get to the point where they can spend almost every cent on just looking this way and trying to impress others and just uh, uh, exaggerating that note. You should wear nice clothing. You should wear what's appropriate. But again, everything has to do with the modesty. It says verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works, things that can be seen, the person's interest in you, showing that love, that dedication. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So again, the point here is that a woman shouldn't have authority over a man. And that's, we don't allow that in the church. Because... The Bible tells us, it says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in child-rearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and with self-control. So she's granted a role that men do not have, and that's rearing their children. I think that's one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this life. Continuing on, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, again, about the roles in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 34, it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, which means here about preaching. For they are not permitted to speak. Of course, that doesn't mean uh, they have conversation. It's talking about the role of a minister is not the one that the woman has been chosen. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Again, talking about preaching. That's the emphasis here in this chapter. So I'd like to read a statement 
from our church website as I conclude here. What does the Bible say about women ministers? Um, uh, in parentheses, pastors or preachers. Posted in January 25th, 2011. So it's been more than 10 years. And boy, this is a more heated topic than back in 2011. Since there has been much controversy in modern times about women's roles in the church. What does the Bible say about elders, pastors, preachers, and ministry? The term ministry is used to mean different things by different groups. Let's first address a type of ministry that includes serving as pastors or elders. The Gospels show that Jesus selected only men to serve as his apostles. Early church history and the book of Acts shows that the church continued selecting only men to serve as elders and pastors. Therefore, we conclude that a woman's role in the church, although unique and valuable, does not include ordination to this type of ministry or preaching during church services. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12 that I just read. However, women served as teachers with the older women training the younger ones. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Women members of the Church of God have long served in many responsibilities and many different roles, from providing musical accompaniment at church services, special music, directing children's choirs and others, to teaching Sabbath schools, welcoming guests, organizing potlucks and church socials, and much more. Also, the United Church of God ordains qualified women to the office of deaconess. We have eight deaconesses in our church. It's amazing how many women God blessed here in this congregation over the years. As the early New Testament Church of God did. These women assist pastors in caring for the local congregations, often in meeting the unique needs of women members. So in God's kingdom, it, we're going to have different roles. But for the time being, we all have to learn that God's system is one of submissive obedience. I'm submissive to God the Father, to Jesus Christ, to those above me. And everybody has a role to function. This idea that you just have to fight it out and you've got to somehow humiliate others to be able to get on top of that uh, responsibility is not the way God works. So let's uh, read just one final scripture, Romans 2, 6 through 11. It's a good summary. I'm going over just a few minutes. Sorry about that. Is second Romans chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. Talking about God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Notice they don't have it now. That's what they seek. But to those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. 
tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as God called the Jews first. And then he called the Greeks afterwards. For there is no partiality with God. God is not a respecter of persons. So I hope you have a better understanding of what it means to have spiritual equality before God.